Welcome to another episode of the Entangling Web3 podcast and the first episode in 2024. So this is the first time we've uh, we've crossed the boundary of a year in the show, Alec. This is very exciting stuff. How are you? How's your Christmas and festive period been? Yeah, it's been good. I feel somewhat well-rested, definitely well-fed, and now I'm sporting a nice new tash to differentiate between 2023 and 2024 for all our listeners. How was your Christmas, Jack? Yeah, yeah, very good. Definitely feeling a little bit heavier, um, but definitely refreshed. So all good. And yeah, I'm glad you've got a new look for for our, for our viewers for the new year on YouTube. So yeah, that's good. Um, so obviously we had over Christmas, we released our review episode, right? Looking back on 2023. Uh, I think it was actually, it was great to to just, you know, take stock of what year it had been, right? Because so much had happened in 2023. And as we said in that episode, we couldn't have been held to any predictions at that point. But now we're gonna we're gonna try and do something very new for us. Work out what's our outlook for the coming year, so that maybe in twelve months' time, fingers crossed, if we're still here, we can look back and see how <laughs> wrong or right we were in our predictions. Yeah, I think this is going to be heavily related to the review of last year. Like in the review, we inadvertently spoke about trends, right? Trends from the start of 2023 and all the way to the end of 2023. And I think in 2024, we're going to see a continuation of a lot of those trends. But hopefully we'll give a bit more than just a follow up of the review. We will come up with our own predictions and insights. But yeah, I think the first one is definitely something we spoke about in the review and probably some of the hottest news in the Web3 and definitely in the crypto space right now. It's around the Bitcoin spot ETFs that are coming out and the general kind of consensus of the end of the big winter and bear market that crypto experienced towards the start of 2023. We said in the review episode, the last episode, that there'd been a lot of layoffs, a lot of people losing their jobs because of this downturn in crypto, which had kind of been assisted by your general market trends, general fears of recession, but also uh, maybe a change in focus towards AI. And it seems like we're really coming out of that now. Like, I think a lot of it is to do with the ETF approval that's coming, not just for BlackRock. Um, it, they're saying early in January that a lot of these ETFs are going to be approved in the likelihood that people are estimating from Bloomsburg is around 80% in early January, in the first two weeks of January. And like we say, it's not just BlackRock that are applying for ETFs now. It's There's a lot of different applications. I saw one from a company, I forget the name of, um, it was oh, Bitwise, uh, a prominent cryptocurrency mm. investment space, right? And I hadn't even known they were applying for an ETF. And they've already raised $200 million in seed funding for the ETF on the acceptance and approval by that Bitcoin ETF, which is crazy. Wow. So these are big numbers that are coming into the space right now. It's one of the, the biggest things we're going to see, right? We ex expect the approval and we expect 2024 to be a big boon for institutional players moving into the crypto space. Yeah, it feels like a lot of people have just been kind of holding their breath and waiting for January to roll around, right? Because, you know, as, uh, at the time of recording, so we're recording this on the 2nd of January, and I've seen people speaking about, you know, the 10th or, or even earlier as the kind of approval date or decision date, let's say, potentially. So we should know pretty soon, one way or the other, what's happening. Um, but, you know, as we said previously, lots of people are kind of treating it like a foregone conclusion. I think a lot of people need to, in, in a way, because they're hanging a lot of hopes for how prosperous a year 2024 will be and, and how advantageous it will be as a year for web three in general on whether or not this gets approved because as you say this is this will be the the real i feel like a tipping point in 
institutional adoption, massively legitimizing Bitcoin and all and all the other kind of cryptos as, yeah. as an asset class, right? As an alternative investment, uh, because this will effect, effectively let people, at least in the US and and uh, and, and it, presumably after that, other places in the world, it'll let them start putting money directly into you know retirement funds that are yeah. indexing effectively on the price of Bitcoin, which is huge. It's kind of crazy to think that we're we're even talking about that, but this I think would set the tone. And while we kind of put this first, this is going to be a huge thing. And, you know, it's a prediction that can come come true or, or not very quickly for us. So we can at least look back on this shortly. <laughs> but I think a lot of what will happen in 2024 and how it plays out will depend on, on the result of this. You know, how, yeah. how, how much people are willing to go for, you know, other crypto ventures off the back of yeah. this. You know, if the main regulators are starting to see this as a legitimate option, then I can imagine this kind of reviving a lot of the Web3 and Bitcoin based businesses that maybe have been tentative and thinking about, you know, do we move out of the US? Do we have to look elsewhere? It'll, it'll give them renewed hope, I think. Yeah, and I'm looking at my Coinbase now and looking at Bitcoin and it's at about 36K, which is the third highest it's ever been and by far the highest over the last like two two years, basically. I've seen predictions that of people like Tim Draper, obviously he's a big proponent of this, but a, a general investor anyway, not just a full crypto bro, who thinks it could go to 250K in 2024. And I know we kind of, we, we try and stay away from a lot of this speculative stuff, but I think more and more I realize it's not just about confidence in the space and institutions coming in it's also about like if these companies that are largely saying you have you have a company that's tied to the success of ethereum whatever if you have people that are investing in the space and investing in the tokens specifically as well that also means you have liquidity to invest in research to invest in projects to invest in the utility as well so this isn't just about you know market cap it's also about where mm. the money can actually go to actually provide real utility and add value which is the whole premise of point of web3 right yeah, this would be effectively a bit of a lifeline for a lot of the other kind of utility based businesses to come back and start building with renewed confidence, I think, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's just it's 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 no way of getting around it. It's going to be a hugely significant moment in the next few weeks whenever this does happen. You know, knowing the world, it will probably be delayed months and months and we'll be wrong <laughs> on our prediction of the date <laughs> off yeah, the bat. Yeah. But yeah, this this will play this plays into the larger narrative around Bitcoin as well, right? You know, some people saying it's a pure store of value rather than the, the payments kind of system that it was it was designed to be. So it will it will play into the narrative of it being a hedge asset, right, as well, because there's you know the world's in quite an uncertain place right now. You've got the U.S. Mm -hmm. election coming up as well, amongst all the other geopolitical events going on. So I think combining uh, a, a way now, a new way of investing in. Uh, and getting price exposure to Bitcoin and other assets, that will be, you know, completely dovetailing with where the world's going at the minute. You can just imagine, again, no financial advice here from either of us, <laughs> but you can imagine that those two things are kind of just almost coinciding at the, the exact right moment for something to happen. Yeah, the, the hedge against inflation is a big one, especially with a lot of the world potentially experiencing a recession in 2024, 2023, that, 2025, sorry. That's what predictors are saying right now i think the us is probably going to avoid one um but generally there's going to be a lot of people that are hard hit in in the coming years right and i think like you say the one aspect of that is hedge bet on btc but also that could mean that people don't tend to invest in higher risk assets like bitcoin so kind of it works both mm -hmm. ways another trend that kind of fits into this whole narrative is around the de-dollarization that's happening around the world and it's very unlikely we're ever going to see a full de-dollarization especially of like say the western world and south american places like this but there are people you know maybe specifically in africa and asia that are looking to peg to you know stable assets that aren't necessarily controlled by one government like the us 
And I think, you know, Bitcoin is potentially providing an avenue to do that. And I think it just adds to the whole trend and importance of Bitcoin going forward. But yeah, I think it's going to be a very promising year in 2024. Definitely not financial advice, but let's see what happens. It seems promising right now. Yeah, very exciting. I mean, maybe we'll even see other countries go the way of El Salvador, right, and start making it legal tender. If it, be- if it comes to that level of institutional adoption, uh, you, c- you can imagine that being a further boon for the industry. So while we're on the topic of Bitcoin and big events and predictions for 2024, so this is actually one of those special years in Bitcoin, right? This is one of the, the halving years. So just for context, and we've, we've, we've kind of touched on it before, but I don't think we've ever gone into the details. So 2024 is one of the you know a bit like being a leap year it's on the the <laughs> four-year cycle roughly of the bitcoin issuance halving so when bitcoin started miners would get 50 bitcoin at least for every block they mined then around four years later that halved to 25 again four years later halved halved again and then we're going into the ending of another cycle now so i think it goes down to uh, 3.125 bitcoin which is quite a lot less than you know back in the glory <laughs> days of bitcoin back in 2009 <laughs> But this is a really big event, right? Because this is a change in the economics of Bitcoin in, 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 in a sense. But it's also a planned change, right? It's something that we've known about in advance. We've known about this date for, since 2009, right? This is, a, this, is, mm. this is basically part of how Bitcoin is issued as part of the design of the system that every four years approximately the, the issuance of new Bitcoins halves until we get to this fixed supply that everyone talks about, 21 million Bitcoin. But yeah, it, it's a big significant moment. And I'm interested, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on this, Alec? Because there are different people will say it's going to be, you know, great for the Bitcoin price because maybe that's happened mm. in the past. But, you know, how significant do you think that is? I mean, there's, there's two points here. I think the one is about supply, right? Supply and demand. We're seeing more and more Obviously, Bitcoin has a fixed limit. There's 21 million that can ever be issued. And we're getting closer and closer to the maximum amount in circulation. Um, So we're seeing one of the stats I know right now is that 70% of Bitcoins that are owned um, didn't move last year at all in 2023. So that kind of infers that 70% of all Bitcoins right now are locked in addresses of people that are just hodling, to use the term, holding maybe in cold storage, just waiting for the price to go up exponentially in the future. So, and we're seeing more and more demand coming in for less and less supply. So that obviously constrains things to put the price up and mean there's you know a lot of a lot of uh, well you expect the price gets inflated because of that. So that's the positive for people that own Bitcoin. Not so positive for people that want to use Bitcoin for utility and all these kind of purposes. Then in my mind, the other side is the Bitcoin miners. You know, these are the network administrators. One of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin is that people are directly incentivized by the network to keep the network healthy. And that is really important and quite groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, and if like, you know, we're halving the amount of reward, what's the actual incentive for these miners to commit so much monetary value and so much resources to that? If all of a sudden overnight, you know, they're their actual profits are halved, for example, potentially. And I think we kind of see in the past that we get a rally in price because of the supply-demand ratio, but I don't know if there's some kind of effect on the mines. It seems like there should be, and maybe you know a bit more on that. Yeah, I think that they are the two key important points, right, is what's the effect on the, the, the price for consumers, and then what's the effect with this change in the economics of the system or the, um, the you know, the, the maturation of the economics for miners. So on the first point, um, you have a lot of people expecting the halving to pump the price of Bitcoin, right? Mm. And part of the reason for that is this kind of historical, I say historical, it's been, you know, what, uh, 
14, 15 years now. But there's been this model called the stock to flow model or S2F model. And this kind of basically predicts, okay, how, how does the price move as a function of the when you compare the stock, so the existing supply of Bitcoin that we've had mined, which is, I think it's something around, you know, it's not that far off the 20 million mark, if, if not even over that already. So of that 21 million, we've had lots and lots of it mined, the vast majority. So it's pretty stable. And then the issuance of new coins, that's the flow. So the stock to flow ratio is the kind of thing they're using as a model to predict the price. And in the past, it's actually tracked quite well when you when you do this. Now, we don't have many data points for this. We've only had, what, three halving cycles in the past, but the price has roughly tracked that model. It's kind of started breaking down a little bit now, right? And and, and if you look at it, it predicts a price of something like $100,000 per BTC, which is, you know, we're, we're, so we'd have to pretty much double from where it is now. I think it's 45, <laughs> just hit 45K today in, in US dollars. So we'd have to, you know, more or less double in the next four months. April is when this halving is, is roughly going to hit. Uh, and you think, well, how can that be? It's not just going to magically uh, double, right, overnight the price. Is it, is it going to double? You wonder, mm -hmm. is it maybe one of these self-fulfilling prophecies because enough people believe <laughs> it's going to double in price, therefore more people uh, buy in, mm -hmm. more more capital influxes. The, the, the demand, as you say, is increased with the supply not increasing, and then the price could go up. That's one theory. I don't personally buy it too much myself. I think in the mm -hmm. past it, it probably has been more self-fulfilling because this this change has been known about right the information is there it's not like this has come out of nowhere so i don't know why intrinsically there should be a ch big change in price but it's important to note that lots and lots of people are, are are betting on that happening right the second piece as you mentioned right is the mining economics and yeah overnight the revenue the miners make is effectively going to be halved but their costs aren't necessarily going to be halved because they're still mm -hmm. expending all that work right so as you say their profit will potentially be and likely be slashed overnight. And this is where you see the model of transitioning Bitcoin from a system that you have this coin issuance, bootstrapping the system to then moving to a transaction fee based system where mm. instead of this, this issuance, which we've always known will die out, you're going to just the fees collected from transaction fees. And we know that fees are very high on Bitcoin right now, but in order to keep the same profitability, let's assume the costs don't change overnight dramatically because it's hard to see why they would then you're going to need the fees to account for double what they do right now just to keep uh, profit parity. So it's 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 an interesting one. I think it's potentially, we, we did see, I think in, in previous halvings, uh, quite a big change in hash power uh, around that time because, you know, miners have to react to the profit they can make. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's going to have a big effect, I think. And you're talking there, so like there should, well, there has to be eventually a move from you know miners being reliant on the subsidies and the the kind of the the rewards for mining blocks and more towards the the subsidies and transaction fees that are attached to actually you know managing transactions and sending a transaction from one person to another but what we've talked about previously is that BTC is you know gold the point is isn't that you're transacting often a lot of people are transacting once and then holding like i just said 70% of all holders in the last year didn't move their bitcoin whatsoever and we've kind of got into this debate originally where you know the original white paper talks about this electronic cash system and cash is meant to be moved around right it's meant to facilitate everyday day-to-day -day transactions mm. and there's been a narrative change and it's kind of hard to see the exact point at which that happened but it seems more and more now it is about just buying once storing away and then proving ownership five years down the line and if miners are going to become you know reliant on transaction fees to actually 
manage and be able to be profitable. Like maybe that narrative has to change as well. Maybe they will start to be more on the side of, okay, we actually want to increase the number of transactions. So really interesting things about uh, Bitcoin BTC is that they cap the, the block size of the network. So they can only put through a certain amount of transactions every 10 minutes effectively. And maybe they'll start to think about opening that up and allowing more transactions to come through so they can actually increase their profit through transaction fees rather than just mining. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, right? It does throw in back in this idea of the block size debate because, you know, as it stands, if miners wanted to maintain the current profit level and costs don't change overnight, then they're going to have to seek more fees. And given the cap in block size, that just means passing the, the cost on to users, the average cost of transacting mm. will just go up, right? Uh, I've seen murmurings of the block size increase being talked about again, right? And that's been a very mm -hmm. taboo topic for uh, five or six years now at this point since the, the, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash fork in 2017. So that's kind of been off the table for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now there are, there are factions emerging. We've seen also this debate, which is very related around ordinals, right? This NFT schema mm -hmm. on on Bitcoin that's kind of exploded in the last year in 2023. And now people are moving to kind of effectively ban doing that because it, it takes up a lot of block space. It takes it, it. People are willing to pay the fees for the, the their NFTs to go in, but then that limits the number of practical transactions other people can make. So the miners don't shouldn't really care. They just get money for whatever goes in, right? But it, it, it begs the same question. So will Bitcoin end up moving to a larger mm. block size like we see with Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV? It's very interesting. Mm. And I think if that could be one of the big effects of this year and the halving is that debate just blows wide open again, which would be which would be very interesting to watch. I think maybe the the... I guess a way that, that will be prevented is the fact that the price is skyrocketing and predicted to skyrocket again. So, you know, getting less Bitcoins, but the Bitcoins are worth more. Maybe profit will be the same. Is an interesting thing that you said around, you know, the miners shouldn't care, but like they are the network administrators, right? They kind of have an incentive, even though it's not directly monetary to think, okay, what's the long-term benefit to the health of the network? And I kind of understand why they chose sides over ordinals versus non-ordinals because they have to think, okay, what's going to bring the most amount of people to the network and possibly contribute to the health of the network? They are the network administrators at the end of the day and they have to make decisions that will make sure the network is sustainable and will work long-term. So it's quite interesting to see how this will break down in the future as well. Yeah, but it again brings up all these these philosophical points that are counter to the culture in Bitcoin, right? About censorship resistance. If, mm. if miners are going to start censoring certain types of transactions, when in theory, if you take the kind of libertarian approach, this is, should be a free market thing. So whatever you're willing to pay for, you get. But that's a debate for a, kind of <laughs> a whole other day, really. Um, but yeah, just kind of long story short, it's it is a big event. It's coming in. We know it's coming in April this year more or less. Um, and yeah, unless the Bitcoin price does double and this self-fulfilling prophecy does happen, then there'll be some difficult questions being asked for, for the miners. Yeah. So on this one about basically everyone expecting the price of BTC, Ethereum, all these kind of cryptocurrencies to go up and the total market cap to go up. One thing that's kind of, uh, that's, I guess, a motivator in a way for CBDCs. And I think this is another really big area that we're going to see hopefully come to actual practical, tangible uh, projects coming out in 2024. Um, I see CBDCs and such central bank digital currencies as a massive, massive opportunity. I think they're really going to be a dominant factor in Web3 going forward. Um, I think we talked previously that uh, around the fact that 130 countries, which is 98% 
of global GDP are examining CBDCs. Um, 19 of the G20 are in advanced stages with nine of them having pilot projects. We're seeing major economies really getting to the stage where they can push it out into their economy in, in a real tangible way. I think so India and Brazil, obviously two, both in the top 10 economies of the world right now are going to go live with their CBDC projects in 2024. I think, I can't remember if it's wholesale or retails, but it's going to be really interesting to see these projects, you know, advance in maturity and go just from closed testing where no one really knows the results to real live use cases out in the open. I think we're going to get a lot of feedback. It'll be really interesting to see because so many of them have different deployment models, right? What India wants is very different to what Brazil wants. You know, there's privacy concerns. There's kind of how open they are, how closed they are, how managed they are, how much government involvement there is. And it's going to be really a really interesting kind of test bed to see how each of these different dials and projects actually work mm. and which is the optimum. And I think a lot of countries are going to wait for real live test use cases to say, okay, actually this one does work. We'll go more towards this model. I think 2024 is going to be a real boom for this area. Yeah. And the beauty of the blockchain, you know, being for any of the CBDC projects that do go live or, you know, even through advanced testing that are blockchain based, because again, CBDC doesn't need to be blockchain based as we discussed previously. But for any that are, we're going to kind of see this live experiment play out right in front of our eyes mm. between all the different countries taking slightly different approaches on how to achieve this. There are so many competing models and it's so early. But as you say, we are kind of for maybe even longer, five years down the road from those earliest consultation papers about okay how do we how do we look into this what properties do they need what technology uh, we had all these you know the bank of england's had consultation papers out for a number of years now sadly i think in the uk we're going to be waiting a little longer for mm. uh, seeing something live i think their timeline is more like um, you know the next two three or maybe even five years away but you know we've seen we had john velasarius on the podcast we saw you know one of his projects with the digital tenge in Kazakhstan, that's they've already had a pilot project. They've got results from that. They've been issuing things, uh, issuing the digital tenge in a pilot situation, and you know they're probably going to be ready to launch uh, kind of full scale very very soon. So yeah, it's just I think it's a very exciting time that instead of talking in a very theoretical way, as we have been quite often about CBDCs and you know, what could it be, what benefits could it have, we're actually finally mm. going to see tangible results. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure they won't all be successes. I think I'm sure we'll see many failures with CBDC that we can learn from. Probably part of the reason for the UK wanting to, to stay their hand a little bit, like <laughs> like Apple did with the metaverse. But I think, mm. you know, eventually we will we will now finally get some some proper kind of user feedback as well for how these things work. I think it's going to be so interesting to see the educational standpoint of governments as well, because I think mm. not not most people, but I'd say a large percentage of the population, especially in the Western world, know what cryptocurrency is, right? They don't really know what it is down at a deep level, what the benefits are. They just probably know that it's, you know, kind of synonymous with Ponzi schemes, you know, I don't know, drug dealers, whatever the news used to put out there. That narrative's kind of changing a bit, but that's definitely what the kind of the thought process was a year ago. But when it comes to CBDCs, I think that the, the vast majority of people have no idea about them, have no idea what the benefits are, have no idea how it differs from the money in my bank account. Like I, over Christmas, I was talking to, you know, friends, family, my mom specifically, and you kind of think these are tech-savvy people in a lot of ways. And they were like, what's the CBDC? What's the benefit of having digital cash? Like, why would I want a physical represent or digital representation of a physical note that's managed by the government don't i have that with my bank account and to sort of really mm -hmm. explain the benefits actually quite complicated i think it's gonna be really interesting to see how governments navigate this 
and actually kind of explain why they're doing this to the general population, see what the response is, see if people actually understand why they would want to use CBDCs over, say, private money in the bank account. Yeah, definitely. I think it's fair to say that a lot of, especially the conversations I've seen or had, people are mainly aware of the negative connotations of CBDC and the potential issues around privacy of, you know, a bad implementation of a CBDC mm. that have gained traction in the media because the media is the media and these things do. But yeah, it's going to be nice to potentially have some success cases to, to, to demonstrate the benefits in a way that, you know, yeah, it helps the educational side massively because now you have something that is clear and live and working, hopefully, if they, if they do go well. Um, yeah. So speaking of Apple as well, right, I think one of my big uh, one of the, my big predictions for next year, let's <laughs> say, is that potentially the metaverse will will will, uh, will live or die by the hand of, of Apple. Right. And you know we talked about this in in the the review of 2023. We we're saying Apple's finally making a play, but they're not really playing in the metaverse. They're more playing in this this space of spatial computing, augmented reality, without calling it augmented reality. So in, mm. I think we, we we may not even use the term metaverse so much in 2024 and going forward, but we will probably work out if the concepts themselves are viable, right? If there is real user demand for them, because now Apple's had their big play, the Vision Pro is going to be going on sale very soon. And then we'll finally see, you know, how does the market adoption actually bear out for this thing, right? Because if Apple can't, if Apple can't sell it to consumers, then I'm not sure anyone can. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting one. I think I've just seen like a lot of the the, the user run throughs of the, the Vision Pro and like spatial computing. And I can't see it not being successful right now that's a, that's a double negative there basically i can see it being successful it just looks so incredible and i think the idea of like you know moore's law chips are getting smaller and smaller that's what everyone's saying it's like they're going to become more wearable more mobile more portable all these kind of things but you still want space and like space is a premium especially you know you and i both live in london jack it's like costs a bomb just to be able to fit two monitors in <laughs> in this room like the idea of just being able to have something that slots on your head and then you can just move things around visually without actually taking up any occupancy space or anything like this i think it just fits in with the modern world i can see the vision pro being a success i the question is is it going to be is it going to become the norm i think you know it's going to become it's at the cutting edge the tech savvy people the gamers the people that have you know three and a half grand despair i think it's obvious they will sell loads in the exact same way that they sold loads of smartwatches in the early doors um Will it become widely adopted? Will they replace PCs and laptops? I think that's the more interesting question. We won't find that out in 2024. I think that's more of a 2030 mm -hmm. kind of problem where the cheaper brands get into the space and actually make it easier to widely adopt these things. I think you're right about metaverse. I think one, you know, I see lots of Web3 people still trying to just about hold on to the metaverse dream and like try and attach and plug blockchain into all metaverse projects. And it's just like, it's not needed right now. I mean, maybe I can see a, a utopia where you have a, a general metaverse with lots of different environments all working together and plugging in together but right now they're just like closed spaces for people to you know demonstrate uh, a, a model they made for their trainer like you've seen some of the big brands moving into the space i think vans did a, a van launch in in roblox and all this kind of stuff mcdonald's have done exclusive vr events like you see samsung launching phones in there it kind of seems a bit gimmicky but it don't a lot of these things have to start as a bit gimmicky and then you kind of once they've tested out the water more brands move into the space and then it moves to to wider adoption yeah i mean because in the metaverse you've kind of got this you've got a real problem with the fact that you've got the technology being 
tested and finding its feet as well as the market right the market for mm -hmm. the technology and where is it best applied who where who has the real demand for it that's also never been quite as clear as it has for other things like you know digital assets and, and other aspects of web3 digital identity for example so i think yeah i think the way apple's going about it and and kind of almost taking it back from this big social space and kind of they've mm. I, I think they're focusing more on how it impacts people personally and that's in their personal lives just improving day-to-day -day things augmenting the, the the life they have right through technology as they always have done with with most of yeah. their consumer products i think we'll probably learn from what happens this year with the vision pro and who adopts it and, and what it gets used for we'll probably work out a lot more about the market than the technology i think yeah i think um so i think it's inevitable that AR, VR, spatial computing, hardware moving into this kind of realm is inevitable. I think it, there's so many applications that have been widely understood for quite some time now and the hardware's getting to the stage where it can be done on a mass scale. I think that's inevitable. The idea of the metaverse and you know services and so much of everyday human life moving into an open digital world, that still seems quite far away. And even if it does happen, it's really not going to be for 10, 15, 20 years, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But it's still possible. But 2024 is definitely not the year. So, Yeah, well, let's hope we get another 14, 15 years at the podcast. <laughs> and maybe one day we can we can be predicting that that will be the year it takes off. So This crappy little mustache will be a great big bushy beard by then and probably graying. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate growing it quite that long. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one, if you haven't heard of it, AI, artificial intelligence, <laughs> that's where we've talked about it a lot on this um, on this podcast now. But I think one of the things that we're going to see next year, well, sorry, this year now in 2024, is a lot of the issues that come about from it. I mean, we've seen like the, the sexy things, the chat GPT taking over and everyone instantly understanding how AI can be used for their everyday life. And I mean, like 75% of top organizations are planning to use it in some form or another in 2024. So this thing is going to become norm. I mean, basically norm, I think now, but it's going to become even more entrenched in our everyday lives. I think one of the things we're going to see is some of the issues that come about because of that in 2024. I talked about it a bit previously. I know you um, resonate with this, Jack. Deep fakes, they are everywhere. And the AI boom has kind of made it even easier to deploy these on kind of a mass scale and even trickier to differentiate between what is fake and what is real i think the upcoming presidential election is going to be a an absolute mess i really believe there's going to be so much fake news that's pushed out there that there's going to have to be some push from tech from regulation it's going to have to be some kind of combined effort to really work out a way to caveat and control deep fakes and fake news use using ai i think this is going to be a really good I say good year a positive growth year for the overlap between blockchain and ai purely in terms of provenance we can talk about all the other things but i think just from a provenance perspective using pki to link the trusted source to the content created there's definitely going to be an, a massive push in this year for that yeah i think um i agree with everything you've said right and i think for me the big difference between 23 and 24 in terms of this AI and blockchain convergence that everyone's talking about is that in the last year, we've seen a lot of people talking about the ideas, the concepts, we know, oh, blockchain will be great for AI in all these different ways. It'll be the, the safety rails to help us mm -hmm. use AI in an ethical and safe way, uh, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned. But I think 2024 will be the, the first time we will see actual implementations of these guardrails in, in practice, yeah. I hope. 
I haven't seen too much of it yet, but I'm sure there are plenty of companies building this right now. Um, you know, everything from the data provenance side to, you know, using digital assets for the incentive systems, even the, even distributed social media plays into this, right? Mm -hmm. How you how you can work against the the, the deep fakes um, from a kind of social network algorithm perspective and changing the incentives of that. I think that will, even though not directly related to AI, will still be part of that same conversation. Um, so, yeah, but first and foremost, people very much see, I think, quite rightly, blockchain as being core in the data side of ai it's going to be supporting auditing the data sets themselves how you procure mm. data and also then auditing the algorithms themselves as well we talked about this quite a lot so i think yeah beyond what we've said before i think now we're going to see what actually works in practice what because again these these sound like good ideas but how many of them will work in practice what new problems we find what things you know maybe maybe when you go and try and implement this there there are new issues that arise that we don't think of yet so i think it'll be interesting to see you know how they cope in the real world this year i think yeah and that's the scary stuff right ai will probably cause some problems and is causing some problems now but then there's all the exciting stuff that i think there's going to be the convergence on that we've spoken about before it's ai with more agency right now you know ai can do so much more than just the chat bot that are used to you know do my work and send my emails and all this kind of stuff i think we're going to see more and more open network ai ai with real agency ai kind of operating in an open world maybe talking with other people talking with other ai and for that we need two really big things one is this you know decentralized identity so actually work out what your ai is have provenance for it, know what it can do, what its rights and roles are, how it can operate in an open world. That's a really important thing. We've got a couple of episodes explaining what digital identity and decentralized identity are. And the other thing is the payment rails. Like, you, And it's going to need to use cryptocurrencies, some form of cryptocurrencies to have that payment rail. Like imagine I tell my chat GPT to make a website for me. It then goes off, subscribes to a website, mm -hmm. hires another AI to design something, maybe hires some humans to design something. There's no way it's going to use fiat. Maybe it could use a CBDC, but if I assume that CBDCs probably will, for the next five, 10 years anyway, be specific for citizens of that country, or at least humans generally. But realistically, it's probably going to use some form of cryptocurrency. Yeah, they're definitely a massively important topic, right? I think one of the interesting things we saw at the end of 2023 was actually, I'm not sure if you came across this one, but there was a ruling in, uh, I forget if it was Europe or, or one of the other patent jurisdictions, but basically that you can't have an AI agent as the, the named inventor on a patent, right? They're basically <laughs> saying you can't say an AI oh, came yeah. up with this patent, yeah, because it, it, it doesn't have like the, the same legal rights or definitions and all these other issues that come with it. But that's like one, that's the leash being applied just from the legal perspective to the technology of AI. I think blockchain is going to provide a much longer leash for lots of these other applications, right? It's going to be able to say we can use AI uh, safely, but maybe with a bigger remit, actually, than you think, because people are more cautious right now that the, the lawmakers especially are cautious about how much free reign you give it. So mm -hmm. yeah, well, when, when, once we see some proper implementations of this, I think we'll, we'll know where we stand uh, on the topic, basically. Yeah, I mean, and the other one, we talked about how blockchain web3 digital identity can work for ai but we're going to see more and more projects now that are using ai in 
Web3 and blockchain in cryptocurrency. I've seen, you know, the Ripple CTO, David Schwartz, talking about how they're going to be really reliant on AI going forward with the Ripple project. They're going to really investigate how to use it for cybersecurity, like market prediction, obviously just chatbots, which is the most obvious implementation of this stuff. But they're really going to push hard in 2024. And I think most Web3 projects are thinking about how they can incorporate AI, AI, even if it's just to get the buzzword and get investment. But there probably is a lot of utility that can be derived from that. I think a lot of people are pushing in that direction. For sure. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's something we, we definitely have to be striving for going into, into the new year. Speaking of Ripple, uh, as the kind of the sixth and final key topic area for predictions in this year coming, we'd be remiss to not talk about regulatory clarity, right? And all the things that are going on in the regulatory space. You know, we, we talk about you it all the time. Regulatory clarity this is your favorite part of the podcast. We, we always come at the end of the episode, or we must think about regulation, but it's true, you know. <laughs> and speaking of Ripple, you know, just a list, we know there are lots of actions coming up, lots of big moments this year, right? So we should hopefully see the conclusion of the SEC versus Ripple case around, you know, securities laws and how they apply to XRP. There are other actions we know again about already, things like Coinbase, we have the Binance resolutions as well because obviously not all those are settled there are class actions still for ftx and things so we're going to see we're going to see not just the cases but any maybe new legislation that comes from that uh, for instance we have two things we know of in america already so there's one piece of legislation that is gaining some traction now to going through the house of representatives in the u.s around stable coins and how we regulate those because again that's a really important thing Currently, they've just been issued and, and and we have all these these questions about how well backed they are. You know, are they backed one to one or not? I won't name any names for particular stable coins, mm. but we know which ones we're talking about. Um, so, you know, the potential for, for proper regulation on on these aspects. Also, there's crypto crime crackdown bills coming in. So there's one I think that's potentially going to go through the Senate in the US, which is obviously being partly motivated by everything we've seen with FTX and also now Binance. So. Yeah, I think this could be a prediction any year we do this show, right? But we are hopefully going to see even more clarity on lots of these topics. And whether or not we get clarity, you know, even if that prediction doesn't come true, we will at least see some actions or some results coming from, from this area. And I don't know anyone who's against this, right? Like everyone in the space mm. wants it. They want the clarity. They want the certainty. They want institutions and everyday users to feel comfortable using cryptocurrencies, blockchain, Web3 projects, whatever it is. Like this is going to be good. This is going to be a boon. It's about time that governments understood what they're regulating. And I think it's going to be a very promising year for 2024. It'll get rid of a lot of the BS and it'll bring in the real, you know, kind of straight and narrow actors. And I think that's good for the space and you know i'm tired of all this stuff about cryptos just for drug dealers and money launderers and you know J the jp morgan ceo always saying this despite jp morgan apparently already wanting to be part of the blackrock etf to buy bitcoin like it's just it's frustrating and i'm glad that once the regulation's in we won't have to have these dialogues all the time because there's real utility that's going to come from this it's not just for drug dealers and money launderers yeah, for sure. Well, on that note, I think, you know, that's a healthy <laughs> set of, of crystal ball gazing predictions we've got there, right? You know, it's not, it, it's a it's a mixed bag, but depending on what happens in the next few months, you know, it could be a great year for Bitcoin, crypto, Web3. If we see the right kind of institutional adoption, if the things go well with the halving, you know, I'm skeptical, but let's see. <laughs> uh, and then you've got all the other stuff outside of the pure kind of crypto digital asset space, all the actual building that's going on in, in, in the kind of more interesting application areas like CBDC, uh, like this this new 
pivot for the metaverse, I think is going to be super fascinating in the new year. So yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very positive going forward. Uh, how, how's your outlook, Alex? Yeah, definitely good. I mean, like I remember the turn of last year, 2022 to 2023, it seemed much more negative. Like that was a really hard time. I was like, okay, mm. well, crypto is probably going to die in the first month. And this seems positive. It seems like a lot of things are building in the same direction. And it's just more and more people feeling comfortable and confident in the space. And like, even away from all the stuff that gets the headlines, I just know a lot of people that are just building right now. And they, they don't focus too much on the marketing and the headlines and the market cap and how much people are investing. They care about the projects. And we see more and more projects that are really focused on utility. And I think that's really exciting. And I think which is really exciting is we're moving away from just using blockchain as a buzzword and the blockchain just provides the piping and most people aren't even aware that the products that they're using are using blockchain. And that is something that is really a boon for the industry and the sector. And it's probably one of the most things that I'm most excited at is that we're moving more towards, you know, what's the added value for the user, not what tech can I plug into this project that I'm doing right now? And I think that's what we've got to do. Yeah, it feels it feels natural, right? We're, we're 14, 15 years into this this whole project now. It's about time that this this grew up a little bit more, became mature enough that you know our grandparents can use this pretty easily. I think. Yeah, I mean it's exciting, and I think um, it'll be a good year. Let's see how many of these predictions actually hold true, or if we're wrong on all of them and everything goes to uh, BS. I don't know, but yeah, thank you very much to those listening wherever you may be, and join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web three. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.